Yeah, next weekend, boys, the church has left the building. We, we hope that we will use that time to really grow, to strengthen our relationships with people because we know that the greatest thing in our life is relationships. I mean, those are the things that bring us joy, that bring us encouragement, that bring us love and support. We, we value relationships, but we also know the flip side of that is equally true, that relationships are some of the most difficult things that we deal with in life, right? Because there's unmet expectations, there's hurt, there's disappointment, there's letdown, there's things like that that happen in our relationships that cause us to just just be hurt. And, And we feel this tension in our relationships. It's the same tension that Paul felt as he was writing in Ephesians here. And, and directly, he's writing in the, in the chapters of five and six of his letters to this church of Ephesians. And so if you open your Bible today, open to Ephesians chapter five and six, uh, or, or get your phone app on, because we're going to be starting in chapter five, verse 21. And it's in this verse verse 21, that Paul makes a statement about relationships that if we were to live this out, it would forever change and strengthen our relationships. In fact, I would dare say if we lived out what Paul is suggesting in verse 21, that it would change our lives completely. And so let's look at what he says this morning. Ephesians 5, 21, he says, Further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I know that the language that Paul uses here in this verse isn't always comfortable. I mean, I don't, I don't need to convince you this morning that we live in a me-centered culture, right? I, I, I mean, I mean it doesn't, you don't have to look real hard to figure out that, that this world is all about me. My wants, my desires trump whoever else is around me and their wants and their desires. We don't have to work at this. We're professionals at it because we have a sinful nature in us that creeps out and just lives this way. It is me-centered. But what happens if we take this me-centeredness in our culture and it's me-centeredness in our sinful nature and we apply it to our relationships? What, what happens then? Specifically, when we look at our coworkers and our, our marriages and our families, what happens when we put our me-centeredness in the context of those relationships? Right? We prefer to get our own way. We, we, we buckle down and, and we react in anger or annoyance instead of love and patience. We, 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 we do things like we shut down rather than open up and talk about things. We, we only see disagreements from our own perspective, refusing to see disagreements from anyone else's point of view. These are the things that happen when we live in a me-centered world directly related to our relationships. The list could go on and on and on. In other words, the formula that you and I use in our relationships is typically a formula that looks like this. Me is greater than them. This is our formula. And I can tell you from personal experience, and I imagine you can tell me from personal experience, and I know that Paul can, which is why he's writing this in verse 21, that this formula is not the best formula if we want to have successful relationships. This isn't the way to do it. So what's the solution? Well, maybe we just try harder. 
We just buckle down and we work harder at our relationships. That's what we do. We try harder. But I can tell you this. Rarely, rarely in our relationships is just trying harder the solution. Rarely does that fix anything. And so Paul here is saying, look, I'm not telling you to just try harder. That's not, that's not what I'm saying here. Paul's saying, look, we need, to, we need to flip this approach around altogether. We need to change our approach from being this me is greater than them formula to a me is less than them formula. This is Paul's formula for successful relationships. Then he says it right in verse 21. He says further, submit to one another. Submit to one another. And I know at first glance, we read this and we see these words and it leaves a bad taste in our mouths because nobody wants to submit. When you hear that word on TV, in the news, on the radio, in movies, even in your real life, when you hear this word submit, it often leads us to this, this negative context. It's not a positive word. But I'm telling you here that Paul is using this word submit in the exact opposite of that. It is not a negative word at all. In fact, if we really look at what this word submit means in this context, a simple definition is this. It just means to arrange under. That is all, to arrange under. In fact, this author, William Klein, he, he puts it like this. To submit means to subordinate their own interests to the needs of others so that the welfare of others assumes more importance than their own. To arrange under. Paul's telling us here, look, the only way, the only way that we will ever strengthen our relationships or even have healthy relationships is if we look to serve the other person's needs and put them above our own, not expecting them to just constantly be serving us. Which sounds good, but why? What's the motivation we have behind this? What is the motivation we have to follow this submission formula that Paul gives us? Well, he tells us in the end of verse 21, he says, look, submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. It's because it's our desire to honor Christ. It is our desire to respect Christ, to show love to Christ that, that, that we are to submit to one another. It is our desire to do this because Jesus himself was the example of this definition of love and submission. He gave his life for us. He gave his life for the world. You and I. He was the perfect example of this. And if Christ did this for our benefit, then we must do the same thing for others out of respect, out of reverence for Christ. And so what we see in these these chapters of Ephesians in Ephesians 5 and 6. Here Paul gives us three examples of how this formula plays out. He gives us three real examples and and we don't have time to really go deep with them. We're scratching the surface and I'm going to fly through them so I hope that you'll take some time this week during your chair time to spend with the Lord and and maybe investigate these a little bit further on your own. But, But let's just skim these for a moment. What would it look like If we applied Paul's formula, that me is less than them formula, to these three types of relationships. And the first relationship Paul uses is marriage. 
And, and particularly, he begins with addressing wives. And we're going to get to husbands in just a moment. But let's look at what Paul has to say here in verse 22. He says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, I know some of you sitting here this morning have already tuned me out. You're already angry, you're already frustrated, and you're done listening to me. So hang in there with me for a second, because I want to clear the air on a couple of things as we read these verses. The first thing I want to clear the air on is this. One of the things I love most about Jesus, I love most about Jesus, is how he treats women. Jesus is 100% pro-woman. And that's amazing, especially in this culture that Paul's speaking of, a culture that is dominated by males. Jesus breaks that system to say, no, 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 I am for women. In fact, I read a book this week that impacted me. It said, and I'm paraphrasing it, it said something like, Jesus never dishonored a woman in the way that he looked at her. He never dishonored a woman in the way he touched her. He never dishonored a woman in the way he spoke to her. He always responded to women in love and grace, always honoring them. That is how Jesus treats women. And if that is true, if I believe that, then I can approach this verse with a positive mindset. I can approach this verse just trusting Jesus' character and what he's saying here. And I can get why some would struggle with this. And, and obviously, I, I'm not a woman, but I can understand why this verse might rub some people the wrong way. But, but, so let me offer you first an apology, and this is why I want to apologize. It's because, it's because there are some husbands that I know that have been poor leaders in their marriages. And for that, I'm, I'm sorry to wives. Because you're going to see in a moment that husbands are called to this standard that is, that is even greater. They are called to be Jesus in the flesh to their wives. And too many husbands have failed to do this. And so I am sorry for that. Because if husbands truly did what they were called to do, I don't think, wives, you would think twice about this verse. That You would think twice about what is Paul is saying here. But if let's, let's look at that word for just a second. That word submit that we all get so hung up on in the context of marriage. We already have established that that word means to arrange under. This is what every single Christ follower is to do in their relationship. No matter who you are, we are to submit. And, and, and that is our job. But because I am obviously not a wife and not a woman, I feel a little inadequate to speak uh, on, this, on this topic. And so we've asked some of our pastor's wives to, to share with us uh, 
what they feel this word means, and, and particularly in context of what it doesn't mean. And so let me share with you just some of what our pastor's wives have said about these words, and maybe, maybe you can glean from these. One said, submission is not being inferior or second class to your husband. Wives are equal to our husbands in value and in worth, for we are both equally made in God's image. However, while we are equal, we simply have different roles with him being the head and the leader of their home. Then another wife said this, that submission is not being passive. It does not mean you agree with everything, have no say, no identity, no initiative, no backbone. Rather, submission is bringing your gifts and strengths your voice, your identity in Christ, and who you are as a woman to the marriage. And in doing this, it empowers you and your husband to become more like Jesus. Wise words from our wives. But there was one more I wanted to show you I thought was, I thought was powerful. One of our wives said this. Submission is not submitting to your husband's sinful or abusive behavior. If what your husband is doing or leading you to do is against God's word, then you are not to submit to it. God would never condone abuse or submission to sin. And if that's you, your priority is safety, to get help, and to seek counsel. These are, I feel, wise, wise words from our, our, from our wives. And, and, I, and I love that they're... they're their view and their, their ideas of this, and I thank them for this, but I'm telling you what, the harder part here is husbands. And, 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 and let me dive into that a little bit, because as we look at the word submit in the relationship of the husband, it is equivalent to a platoon leader leading its, its squad. It, it is a military term that is used here. And we know that a good squad leader is not domineering, does not lord over uh, their platoon, the position that they hold. In fact, they do the exact opposite. I have a military friend, and I asked him, hey, what is a good squad leader? And, and let me share with you some of the ideas that he gave me as far as what a good squad leader looks like. He said a good squad leader leads his team, but he knows his team and focuses on taking advantage of each person's strengths why? So the team's goals are met. This is what a squad leader does. He goes on to say, a good squad leader is responsible to his team, but never forgets that he's also responsible to his superior and his superior's goals, not his own goals. And the last thing he told me was that a good squad leader is willing to die for his guys. He rushes the pillbox when his guys are pinned down. He stays behind to cover the past so his team can get away, sacrifice himself to save the ones that he's responsible for. This is what a good squad leader does. And husbands, this is what Paul is asking us to do. In fact, he, Paul tells us this as he goes on in verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life up for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself, a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Now, wives, I get why you might struggle with this verse a little, but I'm telling you this. In all honesty, I would hope that you would have it easy because husbands, 
Husbands, as the squad leader of your family, God calls you to the highest standard above all. God calls you to know and love your wife so intimately that you would be able to encourage her in all her strengths and that you would be able to support her when she's struggling. That is your job, husbands. Husbands, God is calling you to lay down your life for your wife. God is calling you to be willing to sacrifice everything why? To be sure that your wife will, be, will thrive both, both as a person and as a spouse. Husbands, this is our job. Why? Because we ourselves follow in the footsteps of our Savior, Jesus. Not only is Jesus kind and good and gentle and unconditional in his love, but Jesus literally gave himself up for the people that he loved the most. And I wonder, husbands... Does that describe you and your relationship to your wife? Or maybe I should ask your wife. Wife, does that describe your husband? Is he leading your family this way? So to summarize, Paul gives us a, a, a brief summary in verse 33 once again of what this looks like. And he says, so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You see the formula. Me, less than them formula here. Can you imagine if your marriage was like this? I mean, I mean truly. You don't have to be a Christ follower in this room, I don't think, to understand the power of this formula. Can you imagine if our marriages were me less than them marriages? Now, I'm not suggesting all our problems would go away and we wouldn't struggle. No, we're in relationships. There's always going to be problems and struggles. But if we're willing to trust God's pattern for marriage here, I think we can begin to break out of this crazy cycle that we find ourselves in. Me is less than them in our marriages. But then Paul goes on. And he gives us a second relationship to look at, not just in marriages, but he looks at parents and children. And he tells children, yes, you are to honor and obey your mother and father, of course, but since this room is not full of children this morning, I'd rather look at what he says about parents, in particularly what he says about fathers. And, I, and, and word of warning, Paul doesn't hold back on dads here. This is how he says it. Fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. As I read this, I wondered, why does Paul address dads instead of moms? And maybe you Bible scholars in the rooms have a good reason why this is, but let me tell you what I think. I think that he addresses dads because dads are generally the harsher of the parents. Now, I didn't say they were the stricter. I didn't say that they held the higher expectations. No, no, no. I say they are harsher in how we deal with our children. And I cringe at thinking about this as I think about the times that I have acted this way towards my own kids. You know, the moments that we've lost our patience with our kids and we've responded out of anger and we've responded out of frustration. Moments that I have said 
hurtful things and hurtful words to my daughters that didn't honor them and who they were and who they were made to be. Moments when we have shamed our kids, guilted our kids, judged our kids, done those things that make them feel less than who they are called to be in God's eyes. We all have stories of doing that. I'm so grateful for God's grace in those situations that we can lean into. But I am going to say this, dads, we need to be responding to our children in a manner that represents Jesus. And this is critical for us dads. It's critical because whether we want to hear it or not, our kids are going to see how we behave as fathers, and that's what they're going to think of as their representation for their heavenly father. They're going to make that correlation. And, and, and I, I just make a little side note here. If you're someone in this room that had an earthly dad that wasn't good, I just want to say that it's not a fair representation of your heavenly father. And I know this because I've seen how our heavenly father over and over again responds to his children. And and I I love this verse in 1 John 3, 1 that says, See what great love the father has lavished on us, his children. Fathers in this room, we are not to just love our children. We are to lavish love on our kids. Don't hold back. Don't hold back your affection from your children. Lavish love on them. Can you imagine the formula here? Me less than them and what this would look like for our parents and kids. And then Paul goes one more relationship. Yes, he looks at marriages, he looks at children and parents. The last one he looks at is the relationship between the boss and the employee. And he uses the words here in this scripture, a slave and master. And let me just clear the air with this a little bit to understand this language a little bit more. Because in the time that Paul wrote this scripture, uh, uh, this word slave and master was not what we understand it to be today. It was not offensive. This was not a racially motivated term. This was not a a social class term. These people were not being held against their will. When he uses these words, Paul is addressing people that are just simply trying to provide for their families. They're working hard. And Paul wants them to understand that what they are doing matters to God. And here's what he says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. The bottom line here is that wherever we are, wherever God has placed you for work, 
you can be used and he will do great things, maybe things that are greater than you can even imagine to bring some light into a dark place. And thankfully, Paul here reminds us that God is our ultimate boss. We are working for him. We are bringing glory to him. We should be concerned about pleasing him more than our earthly boss's approval, which means employees, we work hard. Work hard. Do your best. Always bring your best to the table. Always respect your boss. And I'm not saying that's easy. I'm saying it's critical. It's important. I love the example I wish we had time to dig into. In Genesis chapter 39, tells a story about God's servant, uh, uh, God's servant Joseph. And, and he's working for the leader of Pharaoh's guard named Potiphar. Potiphar is not a nice guy. You would not want a job working for Potiphar. But there was Joseph, God's servant, working for him. And as he worked, it says that Joseph was successful as he served this man's home, his master. And I love what happens in verse 5 of this story. It says, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. Potiphar was not a good boss. Joseph, though, served and worked hard and did his best for the Lord. And as a result, not because of Potiphar, but because of Joseph, the house was blessed. Joseph understood and lived this principle out to the fullest. God used Joseph to be a light in a dark situation. So I'm telling you this, no matter where you are, where God has placed you, follow his lead. And when you do, your work will become worship. And once your work becomes worship, that changes everything. Because now we are following Paul's formula. Me is less than them. But he doesn't just end with employees. He also addresses bosses. This is what he says to them. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. I get there are some bosses that are power hungry, some that lord over their employees and push other people down. And if you are a boss in this room and you are a Christ follower and you are acting this way, it is time to stop and it's time to change your ways. You might think you have earned your position, but I'm telling you this, God has put you in your position and you are there for a reason to lead others by serving them. We serve them because God gave up his privileges to serve us. How could we do anything different? In Luke 22, the disciples were arguing about who was going to be greater. And Jesus sets them straight and says, no, 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 stop it. He says, you know what, among you it'll be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. The leader should be like the servant. And then he drops the mic, boom. Jesus is a servant leader. Bosses, your employees should experience Jesus through the way you lead them and nothing less because me is less than them. Whether it's our homes, whether it's our workplaces, our marriages, the secret to success in our relationship as Paul defines as me is less than them. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Can you imagine how different our life would be if we all live this out. 
Can you imagine what non-Christ followers would think and see and how they would react if they saw Christ followers living this formula out? Imagine the strength and the joy that would be present in our marriages and our workplaces if we live this formula out. But where does it begin? It begins with you. And it begins with me. So as you leave today, could I ask you these three questions to ponder? One is, what changes need to be made in your life? What, what changes do you need to make in order to follow this formula, me less than them, in your relationships? Secondly, I want to ask you, maybe what apologies do you need to make? On the flip side, where might you need to offer forgiveness in your relationships? And last, how will you look different now walking out of this place than you came in with this knowledge? Because you should look different today. Let's trust this formula, me less than them, and just see what happens in your life. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. I thank you for the great example that Paul gives us here. I thank you even for the difficult things that he tells us in these verses. But Lord, uh, help us to live them out. Help us to be more like you in all of these ways. Every day, may we be more like you, Lord, in our relationships, the way we treat people, love them, encourage them, serve them. Lord, make us more like you. And it's in your name I pray, amen. Hey, let's stand and say our benediction as we go. Here we go, Ephesians 3.20. Let's read it together. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Have a great day.